cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, and with me is Ellie Jacobs, who has never once in his life been wary of the Ides of March, and honestly, seems fine to me. Hello, Ellie. Hey, Frank. As always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and urge everybody to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at, at @takingship. And that's ship with a P as in prose. And also just a reminder, we are no longer being hosted on SoundCloud. We are now being hosted on anchor.fm. So those of you who had been listening to us on SoundCloud, please update your settings and subscriptions and all other kinds of stuff. And of course, you can still get us on iTunes and Stitcher and Google and everywhere else. Um, plus, and probably more, well, I don't know about more importantly, but as important, our website is up and live and people are visiting it. And you That is the too. most important. Most yes. importantly. Uh, and you can visit the website as well. Uh, it's www.takingship.com. Obviously, we were super creative and just used our name. Uh, while there, you can order a, yourself a T-shirt or three or four because like whiskey, T-shirts are just tell us how many sizes and how many of them you want. That's the way we work T-shirts is like whiskey. So please go to our website, order yourself a T-shirt. They are coming. Uh, the design and the uh, of what it will look like is up on there. Uh, I am aware of the university colors that it resembles. Frank is choosing to just ignore that for the time being. Yes, yes. I, I, next year's are just next year. We're scrapping the whole thing. It's just going to be absolute white with burnt orange with our logo and burnt orange. Fucking hook them. Yeah, that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, that's a terrific idea. This is an angle because what people really want is the least informed college football podcast. Yeah. That's what our people tune in for. Just, just outright partisanship between maybe. I think you could make a case for Texas and Notre Dame as the most annoyingly partisan fan bases. I mean, it's it's tough. Like Ohio, the Ohio State, obviously, is yeah. strongly in the mix. You know, Michigan, Alabama, of course, Florida State, the talking Knowles people. Like this is this in and of itself could degenerate into a yeah. really dumb conversation about how dumb we all are. But yeah. there's but we are certainly amongst the absolute elite. Yeah, uh, in terms of just knee jerk irrationality. Yeah, yeah, we're right there with everybody yeah. else. So. Yeah. All right, so with uh, with all that in mind, uh, there's obviously a lot going on um, in the world right now and in the country. Uh, we're purposely skipping a discussion on the Trump administrations to um, violate and or withdraw, depending which side you're on, from the Iran nuclear deal. We're also going to pass on talking about North Korea for the time being. Um, and there's still more stuff happening because of the royal wedding and, according to the Washington Times, the nascent 2020 Democratic Democratic primary, uh, all of which are things we're not talking about. We're also not talking about Devin Nunes, who, uh, although Paul Ryan is the winner of the Venal Pack uh, trophy, uh, Devin Nunes is a very close runner-up. Um, he's just certainly an honored, honored uh, member of the board or whatever. However, we've structured Venal Pack. Yeah, he's just he's just doing new and interesting shit right now. Um, we're going to skip all that, and we're just going to have uh, 
kind of two quick focused conversations today. We're going to keep this one short because last week with uh, Niggist was uh, a little long, which was great because it was a fantastic conversation. And in the coming weeks, we're going to have a few uh, good guests, hopefully, and there'll be longer conversations. So, uh, Frank, let's talk about what we want to talk about, and then we can go back to hawking T-shirts. Absolutely. We're going to touch on international affairs very briefly, uh, and then uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about what divorce can tell us about voter behavior uh, and and vice versa. Uh, so we're going to start, though, uh, in, the, in the international realm uh, with the uh, imminent move of uh, the American embassy in, uh, in Israel. Uh, Ellie, what's happening with that? Right. So, um, uh, as many people know, uh, President Trump announced that he was going to relocate the American embassy to Israel from the beach in Tel Aviv to Western Jerusalem. Um, this was uh, in, in accord with a law that was passed in 1994, 1995, which uh, insisted that the um, Congress passed law. President Clinton signed it uh, with uh, an addenda to it, basically that the embassy was supposed to move to Jerusalem, which is the uh, eternal capital of Israel and recognized by the Israelis, but basically nobody else as their capital. Um, and uh, President Clinton insisted that there be a six-month waiver opportunity. And every six months since then, President Clinton, then President Bush, then President Obama, and then, yes, President Trump uh, waived uh, um, the relocation until this past time when Donald Trump decided to go forward and, and relocate the embassy. So for starters, the embassy, uh, this is happening tomorrow. To coincide with, um, well, today is uh, Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, which uh, marks the, we're now at the 51st anniversary of the 1967 war. Um, and tomorrow is the um, uh, uh, international recognition of uh, Israel's Independence Day, which uh, in Israel was actually celebrated a few weeks ago to coincide with the, uh, or where it fell out on the Jewish calendar. Um, so it's going to be a big thing tomorrow. Um, Jared and Ivanka are there. Uh, Steve Mnuchin in all, and that, that's how, that's how you know we're really taking shit seriously when we send Jared Kushner to do something. We've got top men on it, Ellie. Top men, top men, top men. Oh, I'm totally going to weave in the, the the clip to this episode. That's going to happen, folks. Please do. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. Um. So that that is what happened. That's what's happening. They haven't built a new embassy. There was an embassy annex in again Western Jerusalem in an uncontested area of Jerusalem. Um, they're just going to change the sign from consulate to embassy, uh, and then over the next coming years they will build a new embassy. Donald Trump is already um, flashing anger and disappointment at the price tags, uh, which are upwards of a billion dollars because embassies have to be fortified and have know, triple HVAC systems and backup relay systems and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, apparently Donald Trump just thought, you know, you slap up a pretty shitty casino and everybody goes home happy. Yeah. He thought he, he, he said he could do it for $150,000, but the whole thing is weird because like pissing away huge amounts of money is where Donald Trump came in. Right. And this is like, this is his stock and trade, man. This it's is the, his thing. The one thing in life that he's ever been consistently good at. Yeah, this is his thing. This damn thing, and yet here we are. Also, I can't quite let this go. What to what international event would like? What international event would we send uh, Jared and Ivanka and Steve Nuchin to, and not have it be considered some kind of calculated diplomatic insult as a prelude to war? This is like this is ridiculous. Right. Like, do you remember when when and, and I promise we'll get back to this in a second. But uh, for some reason, I have college football in the brain. It's like when uh, when we when uh, the NCAA played a college football game in Dublin as a kind of promotional thing, and they and they gave them Georgia Tech and Boston College. That's like that's like extending two giant middle fingers to someone. Hey, fuck you! Here's Georgia Tech and BC. Enjoy yeah. this, you bog trotters. 
Yeah, at least do BC and Notre Dame. Like, and why does NCAA? Yeah, why does NCAA the NCAA? Why does NCAA football hate the Irish? That's a much better question. And I don't mean your Irish. I mean the actual Irish. Although they're not huge fans of those Irish either, being that they're independents and refuse to join a conference. Yeah, well, there, there, there's something in that. But yeah, anyway, back to the uh, back to the back to the cause of this calculated insult of you know sending you know just just our like just sending three of our most most lamentable people over to bedevil the israelis yeah it's like d squad and and this is what happens with team chaos and dumbest timeline america this is this is the best of what they have to offer which is i I, just just mind-boggling um so that's what's happening tomorrow frank uh the the sign will be will be swapped um, the American diplomats that are based in Tel Aviv with their beautiful beach view will now have the view of several parking lots and uh, used car lots. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where the embassy annex is and the, the consulate annex is, and I'm pretty sure I have the right view. Um, and that's what's happening tomorrow. So uh, why we've talked about this a little bit before. It's happening tomorrow. That explains the timing of this conversation, but why is this a big deal? We've we've already chatted about it. Yeah, but some of the consequences are coming into are coming into sharper relief now that it's actually happening. So, what what's the deal with that? Right. So it's a big deal because, as I mentioned, uh, most of the world does not recognize Jerusalem as uh, Israel's capital. Again, despite the fact that the entire government is based in Jerusalem, um, and the U.S. ambassador and all other ambassadors spend the vast majority of their time in Jerusalem because if you want to deal with the government, you kind of have to do that. Um, and the reason it's not recognized is because um, in 1948, when the state was established, there was a partition plan, um, a state for the Palestinians and a state for the Jews. The Arabs rejected that and declared war on Israel. Um, and then kind of everything went to hell. But in this partition plan, uh, Jerusalem um, was recognized as a separate entity. Um, and it sort of always has been recognized as this separate entity and it's been kicked, the can has been kicked down the road during peace negotiations of we'll deal with that at the end. That'll be the last thing we figure out is how to divide or not divide Jerusalem. Um, it's worth remembering that, um, Yitzhak Rabin, when he presented the, uh, original Oslo Accords to the Knesset, um, made the pledge to never divide Jerusalem. So, uh, dividing Jerusalem is a contentious issue for Israelis right, left and center. Um, there were some reports that came out last week that uh, in this new Kushner, Trump, whatever peace proposal, uh, there are four Arab neighborhoods in East Jerusalem that will be um, separated and declared um, the uh, capital of the Palestinian state. Um, those That's a rumor. No one really has any idea, or at least we certainly don't have any idea of what rumors of this plan and not uh, and. Are, are true and not true. So that's all up in the air. But uh, going back to 1948 to 1967, the city was divided, uh, literally divided. In 1967, when um, Jordan, Syria, and Egypt attacked Israel, this is the famous Six-Day War, Israel took over Gaza, the Sinai, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem. Um, whereas Israel never declared sovereignty over uh, the Golan Heights, West Bank, Gaza or Sinai, uh, they did declare sovereignty over East Jerusalem. Um, this was the first time Jews were able to freely go back to uh, visit the Kotel, the Western Wall, uh, since basically the year 70 when the Romans destroyed it, destroyed the temple. Um, so it was a big deal in 1967, obviously, and pretty miraculous victory in, of, in and of itself. Um, and right now the city is divided 
um, ethnically to some degree, where East Jerusalem is certainly more heavily Palestinian and Arab than it is Jewish, but there are Jewish quote-unquote settlements spread throughout East Jerusalem and uh, to the south of Jerusalem as well. So this is a big deal because um, this is the first embassy that's being that's making that move. Uh, the, the belief would have been that when the Americans made that move, a lot of countries would follow through, but um, because they're, the peace process is currently dead um, and there's no real light at the end of the tunnel of having a, a, a solution to the uh, Arab-Israeli issue, uh, a lot of no, there aren't that many countries that are following suit of the Americans right now. There are a couple of South American countries, uh, Guatemala and, and Colombia, I think, are, are following suit. But in the meantime, uh, this is where things are right now. The uh, the Europeans, the UN, and everybody else are are clamoring for uh, the peace process to get picked up again. The Americans have this theoretical plan that they're going to roll out. The Saudis have supposedly read the riot act to uh, President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority saying you have to accept whatever Trump rolls out at you because uh, the Saudis kind of want to wash their hand of the Palestinians at this point. Um, and that's where we are. There's a lot of things happening. This is a, you know, as I said in interviews at the time when the announcement was made, uh, I fully support this decision, uh, but it was done in about the most team chaos Trumpian way possible. It was just it. They they, they blew this one. They could have they could have really done something, um, and instead they just you know did what you'd expect them to do and fucked it up. And the way that they executed that, uh, it has may have a deleterious effect on whatever peace process peace process emerges. Right? Yes and no. I mean, Dan Shapiro, uh, President Obama's ambassador to Israel, uh, had a very good op ed in on CNN.com either yesterday or today talking about how this actually could help the peace process, which is something that the Trump administration touted when they made the announcement and everybody kind of rolled their eyes. Um, but the important part to remember about that is that there are factions of both the Israeli right and the Palestinian cause that don't believe that the other people exist or have a right to a state of any kind whatsoever. Um, and the decision of the Americans to recognize uh, Jerusalem as the capital kind of at least puts a, a flag in the ground of this is real, this is happening, Israel's not going anywhere, Jerusalem is going to be their capital. What we do from here on out, we can have a discussion about, but we're no longer discussing no Israel and no Israeli Jerusalem. No Israeli Jerusalem. So it, it, the idea being that it, this has now moved the process along to some degree because it has eliminated conversations that shouldn't be happening anyway. That is a grim kind of progress. Very grim. Um, but, 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 uh, but then that's what, we, that's, that's what we got these days. That's pretty that, much that, the, that is what we got these we days. Got yeah. yeah. And, you know, speaking of grim reconciliation and divorce of peoples, uh, let's move on to our, our, our second and, and final topic. Um, Frank, what is this thing you want to discuss? Uh, I want to talk about a voter, about a, a voting behavior, uh, or rather the behavior of voters, uh, public opinion, and what uh, some theory around divorce can teach us. And all of this uh, goes, all of this uh, centers on a psychological phenomenon called negative sentiment override. Right. Negative sentiment override. Um, can you give us a couple examples of how, of what this is and how it works and sure. what it, how override, how positive action underride is opposite it? 
Yes, that's, right. <laughs> that's sure. I can certainly do the first part. I'll have to, I'll have to stretch to the second. Positive sentiment underride, eh? Uh, okay. Action, action underride. I decided. positive, yes, positive action underride. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'll, I'll give you a. Uh, I mean, I actually think I probably could, but uh, but it would be it would be garbage. Uh, let me. I'll give you a good example of this. Actually, we're going to start with this. So the uh, a a research uh, firm, public research firm called uh, Britain Thinks did a series of surveys and uh, and focus groups in a couple of communities in Britain over the past few weeks, uh, Barnet and Southampton. And, you know, these are, they were primarily talking to, I think it was, it was largely uh, in those things, uh, white, uh, white collar men or self-employed men. Um, so you're, and then there was also a fair amount of like, so sort of, Working come middle class white dudes it was the majority of the people they had in the focus groups, um, but they also had but they had other slightly more representative samples. These are both um, Barnet to a to a degree and, and Southampton to a very high degree fairly white communities all, uh, initially, and they're places where labor has struggled. Southampton was a uh, had two labor MPs for a really long time. Um, they lost the labor seat in 2015. Uh, one of the labor seats in 2015 have been unable to regain it, uh, and and it seems like it, they may not get it back for a while. Uh, that's that's very possible, uh, and then uh, Barnet had been uh, a place where Labour had expectations of being able to control the local council, uh, and in recent Labour recent local elections, they they lost that unfortunately. Uh, so uh, they they were so it is these are places where Labour it's fair to say Labour has been struggling. So they ran these public sur- uh, so Britain thinks ran a ran a, a series of uh, public surveys. This would be polling, um, and then they also conducted some focus groups. And what they were testing was how people responded to. Uh, Labor Party policies, particularly economic policies. So what they found is that a majority of the people who were surveyed uh, supported individual elements of uh, the Labor Party manifesto, uh, tax increases, strengthening workers' rights, uh, nationalizing utilities, uh, and also uh, closing the gap in between executive pay and the pay of workers. Uh, so this is true in the surveys. It was also true in the focus groups. And I'll, I'll give you a good example of this, and then we're, we'll talk about what this means for negative sentiment override. So there's a focus group in Southampton. They've got these folks in here. What they're seeing is uh, support pretty much across the board for these policies. Some are very popular. Some are less. Some are also popular, but less so. Uh, they were uh, very enthusiastic about, about capping the difference between the pay of executives and the pay of employees, and they were very uh, positive about nationalizing water, energy, and rail. This has been a big thing. Water, energy, and rail are privatized in the UK. Uh, they and the idea of taking them back and making them uh, public good is a, was, was is pretty popular across the board and was with this focus group. So they the so the moderator asked who asked this focus group who these popular policies belong to and they responded these are policies of the conservative party. You heard that right, and and capping the pay of executives and renational and nationalizing water, energy, and rail were considered conservative. Are, were consider, they thought these were conservative policies. Now, this is not a. I'm not doing a mean spirited diatribe on oh how dumb this focus group is. But, you know, it's because that's not what's happened here. What has happened here is revealed in the next thing when they were told when this group who were very enthusiastic about these policies were told actually these all belong to Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. They turned on them. One of the one person called them rubbish. Another, and they just started tearing strips out of these policies. Well, they're just not going to add up. They're going to ruin the country. It was a complete. As soon as they found out 
that the policy arguments that they had been for were not from the conservatives, but were from Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party, they turned on them instantly. That's negative sentiment override. It is Which is something that happens in this country very often as well. Yeah, we I mean, hear about focus groups like this and polling and people voting against their own interests and oh, absolutely, it's th- this is not an uncommon phenomenon. It is, it is uncommon. It's not. It's not. It's not especially common at that level of strength. Like this is this is it. Like it, we saw it in 2016. 2016, and the way that a lot of people felt about Hillary Clinton was, in many respects, a year long study in negative sentiment override. Uh, but what we're seeing there is, but negative sentiment override. To give the definition here is. It occurs when when one party dislikes and distrusts the other person, another party, so much that anything they that anything that they say is immediately discounted, dismissed, and 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 treated with scorn and contempt. Like there's just nothing you can say or do. The mere sight or sound or thought of this person turns the other one off. That's negative sentiment over. Right, which is certainly a way to describe the 2016 election and current America. Mm-hmm. Oh, it certainly is. Mm-hmm. Where does where does this term come from? Where did the evolution come come start from? Yeah. So the negative sentiment override uh, it was popularized. I don't know if it originated with them, but it was popularized by a pair of psychologists, husband and wife couple called the the Gottmans, the Doctors Gottman, uh, and they are considered some of the preeminent uh, preeminent folks working on uh, couples therapy. Uh, specifically, they're, you know, they do couples therapy, they do divorce uh, prediction. I, they would not say they do divorce prevention, but there is kind of an element of that, right? Like, if you really think that you're, you're headed for Splitsville and you want to see if you can do something about it, um, they, these would be the people that you would call in. Uh, among, among others, it's not saying they're like super. So this, this but, is, these, these are the folks. So folks, we, in addition to selling t-shirts, we're also now starting a Patreon account for uh, Frank and I to go visit with the Gottmans. That's right. That's it. That, that's exactly right. But the, 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 and the because the contempt with, in which we hold each other and with which we treat each other, uh, I, I don't think this bodes especially well. Uh, but on the other hand, you could also argue it's part of the special sauce of this podcast. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts, but yeah, this, this term negative sentiment override, Really, it's most often heard in the context of divorcing couples because that and and we have all seen this during, you know, or maybe been through it with a breakup of one kind or another, where just the mere like the other person becomes just like a red flag in front of a bull. Like just as soon as they start talking or saying anything, uh, the other party just immediately assumes they're doing it from the worst motives. It's garbage. It's terrible. And and they speak with a forked tongue and can't be trusted. And that's that is what we have seen. That's what you're seeing with these voters in the focus group responding to uh, the Labor Party. They like all of the content of it, but as soon as they find out that Corbyn says it, it's it, it's they're done with it. This is a good opportunity to flag a uh, movie that that gets the taking ship recommendation. Uh, Frank was ill last week. Uh, I've been suffering from allergies, so I uh, <clears throat> was slipping through uh, HBO and came across uh, the movie The Hitman's Bodyguard starring Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and I bring this up because uh, one of the subplots in this movie is Ryan Reynolds has an ex-girlfriend, and when she calls her caller ID and his phone comes up as pure evil. Uh, but this is a wonderful shoot 'em up chase movie, uh, and I highly recommend it, particularly if you're suffering from the flu or allergies. Maybe only if you're suffering from the flu or allergies. Some films really are best enjoyed when you are at your worst. Yeah, so... So, Frank, as we move towards uh, the conclusion of this episode, what are the big lessons we can take away from this? So the lesson that I would, t- I would draw from this is, is pretty simple. Uh, this is a good example of the fact that who talks about 
your politics, your policies, who talks about it and how they talk about it matters as much as, if not more than what you're actually saying. What we have here is labor saying some things that are fairly popular. As soon as voters find out that, that labor is the one who's saying them, they become unpopular. Now, it's not a profound sentiment to say the messenger and the messaging matters at least as much as the content of the message. Um, that's, that's, you, you see, you, that, that is not a new concept in politics. People talk about it all the time. And yet, when we, when the, when, you know, progressives and people on the, on the left and on the right, when we, but particularly on the left, when we try and make our cases, we still, because we are progressives and we've talked about this, we still want to bring facts to a feelings fight. We still want to think about what is the, what is the, you know, the core of our policy? What kind of policies are going to appeal to the American people? You still find people out there saying, you've got to tell people what policy, what you're going to do for them, what policy you're going to have that's going to make their life better. Actually, who sa- who talks about it? Have a few big, the lesson that I would take from this is you ha- have a few big comprehensible policies, Executive pay gap is a fairly comprehensible policy, actually. Like, bosses shouldn't make 150 times, 250 times what their employees make. That is a, actually a, a pretty straightforward argument. Uh, nationalization is a very straightforward argument. These are public goods, and they should be treated as such. Uh, and, and the people who make the most money should be, the tax, should be taxed more to pay for all that. Those are all fairly straightforward arguments. There's not much detail to them that doesn't need to be. The critical point is, if your messenger isn't trusted and your mess like, and 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 people you're, what you're finding is negative sentiment override you're going to have to change your messenger because nothing that jeremy corbyn says about any of those policies or anything else he could change his tune and become a tory then if he if jeremy corbyn went out tomorrow and said actually the executive pay gap is great um uh, and uh you know we, the rich should pay even less in taxes and it's important that people have choice in deciding where their water comes from uh and as a result we're going to keep this ridiculous privatization scheme uh those things would also be hugely unpopular if your message if your messenger is so poisoned and tarnished that what you're experiencing is a large amount of negative sentiment override you're out of the game and you need to find another messenger Right. And we weren't going to talk about 2020 and, and we won't, but uh, just something to keep in mind when you start seeing candidates come out, uh, kind of take a take a step back and think about who of them are credible messengers for the messages that will attract parts of the country to flip the White House. Um, okay. So uh, w- with that as our kicker, um, we'll close this out. Um, we may or may not have an episode next week. Uh, Frank's going to be out of town. Um, and I will be celebrating the, uh, another Jewish holiday, but, uh, we, we will keep everyone abreast. So please follow us on Twitter at, at taking ship and that's ship with a P as in, um, perfidy, uh, check out our website, www.takingship.com where you can also go and order t-shirts. Please get those t-shirt orders in, uh, as soon as possible. Uh, we are running uh, a sale, which my wife mocked, mocked us for, for running a sale before we've actually sold anything. Uh, we're running a 10% discount um, through the end of the month and a free delivery to TrueCon uh, 2018 uh, if you're there and want your T-shirt there. So please get your T-shirt orders in ASAP. Um, and with that, Frank, where are we going this week? So this week we're going down to uh, South Carolina where footage surfaced this week of one of the largest alligators. It was uh, that, a dinosaur. It, it was, was a dinosaur. This dinosaur. thing, I mean, I, I would estimate the weight of that thing at charitably about, oh, I don't know, 30,000 pounds. It was just huge. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say it looked like 
It looked like if you were going to, if you were, if you were remaking a, a a monster movie from the 1950s, one of those like something gets really big and then it runs roughshod all over everyone, right? It looked like something out of that, right? You would use that thing as stock footage for your monster running a uh, So we're going to go down to South Carolina. It was walking across a golf course because the Gators love nothing more than to hang out in golf courses. Uh, literally watched uh, by a series of, by uh, by a, a, a small herd of deer uh, who were. Certainly faster than this thing, but we're nonetheless keeping a very close eye on it. It was sort of shocking to think that a creature of that size and it was just lurking, you know, around the golf course. Although, you know, it wouldn't be the, the first oversized creature to hang out at a golf course. Uh, but I will say, but but it prompted this. We want to go down to South Carolina because I can't figure out the answer to this question. In the war on the sea, whose side are gators on? I can see an argument that they are the sea's shock troops. But they might also be our first line of defense. They might be mercenary free agents. And so I want to go down, I want to find this gator, and I want to engage it in a very honest, and I hope a very open dialogue about where it sees its loyalties. Is it a sea creature? Is it a land creature? I feel like it's it's being put in a very difficult position. And I would like to uh, help, I'd like to figure out where this thing belongs. Um, and, uh, and then I would also uh, like to shame it into join the right side. So I'm, I, we're going to go down there. We're going to have a chat with this gator. It's going to go extremely well. I'm looking forward to getting to know it. Uh, and, and I'm sure it's looking forward to getting to know me uh, and Ellie. So uh, friends, we take ship uh, for South Carolina and a conversation with this truly gigantic alligator. Take care, everybody.